Psalm 34, verse number one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Not just when circumstances are good, but at all times. Do you know why you should bless the Lord at all times? Because when circumstances aren't good and you begin to bless the Lord, your bad circumstances turn into good circumstances. Amen? I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. He's good enough to brag on, isn't he? My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. This is why it's important for you to get to church on time. Not picking on nobody. I'm just saying that if we can get together and worship the Lord together, good things happen when we come into his presence as a corporate body. Come exalt the Lord with me. Let's worship his name together. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. When you worship God, when you serve God, it ought to make a difference in your countenance. You ever get around Christians that are always look like they're mad or angry or depressed? Do you know why that happens to Christians over the long period of time? It's because they're not spending any time with God. It's impossible to spend time in the presence of God on a regular basis and it not affect your countenance. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy, the Bible says. It ought to affect your countenance, right? It says, this poor man cried out, the Lord heard him. And saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Today I want to continue in our series, Good, Good Father, where we've been looking at the goodness of God. And we've been doing it for a couple of reasons to combat the tricks that the enemy plays on us. The enemy has two tricks that he plays on mankind. The first one is to convince us God doesn't exist. And he's done a pretty good job of that with most of the people in the world. He's given them something called the scientific theory of evolution. And the scientific theory says that an uncaused explosion took place and you and I just came into being. An uncaused explosion. That violates every scientific law that there is. It's impossible for explosions, by the way, to create the kind of sophisticated order that there is in human beings. But he's got us to buy into that by calling it scientific. And if he doesn't trick mankind into believing that there is no God, his next thing to do is to convince us that if there is a God, he's not very good. Because if he convinces us that God is not very good, that we don't expect the goodness of God, if we don't expect the goodness of God, we can't receive the goodness of God because if you don't expect it, your faith won't work. And if your faith is not working, you won't receive anything from the Lord. Amen? And so we're doing this series to talk about how good God is to remind ourselves that we serve not just a good father, but a good, good father. And so today I want to talk to you about what the psalmist said. Very simply, the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message relevant, real, and timely to every person we pray in Jesus' name? And everybody said, you may be seated. Some things about the goodness of God to get this truth, 
just deep down in our spirit so that way there's no confusion because where there's confusion, there's every evil work, the Bible says. In other words, the enemy's able to get into our lives and into our spirits, if you will. Poison our spirits would be a better way of saying it if we don't get it settled in our heart that God is good. And so the first thing I want to share with you is the truth that God is uniquely good. God is uniquely good. In Luke chapter number 18, Jesus comes across what the Bible calls a rich young ruler. And uh, this rich young ruler has everything, but he's unfulfilled. Because how many of you know that money by itself does not fulfill you? Money by itself will not make you happier. Money, money is an inanimate object, if you will. Whatever you are, money makes you more of that. So if you're good, money will make you even gooder because it'll give you access to do more good. If you're not good, money will make you even eviler because it'll give you access to do more evil. And so money by itself doesn't give us fulfillment. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's empty on the inside. He has everything in the natural world, but he doesn't have what matters most which is salvation. Now, when I say that, you need to understand that God's not opposed to money. God's not opposed to you having money or being blessed because the scripture says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow. And so the point is, it's not that God doesn't want us to have stuff. God doesn't want stuff to have us. God wants us to find our fulfillment in him. And then when we find our fulfillment in him, it is the Lord's good pleasure to bless our lives with every good thing that there is to offer in this life. And so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember Jesus's response. Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God alone. He's the only one that's good. And in so saying, Jesus is teaching two things. The first thing is he's kind of in a indirect way trying to get the guy to think about who he is. Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Jesus is kind of rhetorically telling the guy, I am God because you're saying that I'm good. There's only one person that's good, and that's God. Think about what you just said. You, in essence, recognize who I am by saying, by saying, good master. And so Jesus is trying to teach the guy who he is, but even more so, he's trying to teach us that God is in a category of good all by himself. There's no one good but God alone. Why is God in a category of good all by himself? Well, listen to the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Our system, human system of goodness, revolves around doing something good in order to get something good. In other words, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Most people do good because they want something in return for the good that they do. There's this expectation. I do something for you, you do something back for me. I do you a favor, you do a favor back for me. Everybody wins. We all treat each other well. We all do favors for one another. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you think about why God does good, why does he do good? God gets nothing in return when he does good for us. I mean, think about it. What can we give God? What do we have that God really needs? God doesn't need health. He's always healthy. God doesn't need wealth. In heaven, the streets are made of 
uh, uh, gold. Pavement in heaven is gold. So God doesn't need what we have, right? God doesn't need joy. He's full of joy. He is joy personified. Doesn't need peace. He's full of peace. He doesn't need any of that kind of stuff. He doesn't need forgiveness. He never does anything wrong. God's never grumpy. He doesn't need to be cheered up. He doesn't wake up one day in the morning going, ah, today's going to be a bad day. God doesn't even sleep, so he can't really wake up on the wrong side of the bed. God doesn't need anything that we have. And so what is in it for God to do good? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Then why does God do good? Simply because he enjoys it. He loves to do good. God gets a bang out of it. God, 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 God just loves being good to you and I. It's kind of like when my kids go about their day and, and, and sometimes they'll, they'll do stuff and, and, uh, maybe they'll spend a little money and, and I'll say, how much did you spend? And, and they'll say X amount and I'll just say, well, I'll put this amount of money in your account over and above what they had. And they'll be like, oh, dad, you, you don't have to do that. I know I don't have to, but I want to. Why? Because I like being good to my children. And the scripture says, if we then being evil know how to give good gifts unto our, our children, how much more does our heavenly father know how to give good things to his children? God's in a category of good all by himself. He just enjoys being good to us because God is good. Second thing we need to realize is that God creates only good. God doesn't ever create anything bad. And I want to show you this in Scripture. Go back to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to pay particular attention to what God creates. And as we're reading through this, I want you to be asking yourself the question, did God put anything on the earth that was bad? Watch this. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was what? Good. Interesting. Jump down with me to verse number 10. Just for time's sake. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? Interesting, isn't it? Next verse, verse number 12. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? Good. So the evening and the morning were of the third day. Jump down to verse 17. God set them, speaking of the stars, the sun and the moon, set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was what? Verse 21. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? Are you getting the point? Verse 25. It's interesting that this is how the Bible starts out. Right? Comes right out of the gate with with this. Verse number 25 says, And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? Good. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them. Then God saw, verse number 31, that everything that he had made, how many things that he had made? Everything that he had made. And indeed it was what? No, it wasn't. It was very good. 
Did you notice that everything, not some of the things, did you notice how, how specific the scripture is to say everything that God created was very good? Nothing, in other words, that God put on the planet was anything but good. The point is that God only creates good. Matter of fact, I think the usage of the word good is so specific. Everything was good. Good, 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 good. You know what good is? It's just God with an extra O. Do you know why? So we could do what the psalmist said. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, God's trying to send us a message. Matter of fact, did you know that from the beginning of time, God never intended for us to know anything but good? Never his intention. Matter of fact, listen to what God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.16. The Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the knowledge, uh, every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Why didn't God want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because they would have consequences by being exposed to anything other than good. He did not want them to know evil. God only wanted Adam and Eve to experience good things. That was God's will since the beginning of time that you and I would only experience that which is good. Matter of fact, it's the same today. God only wants us to experience good things. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 16 tells us in verse number 19, I want you to be wise concerning what is good and simple concerning evil. What's God saying? He's saying, I don't really want you to be exposed to the amount of evil that is in this world. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to experience good things. And this kind of blows a hole in the theology that some people have about parenting. They'll say, well, you know, you got to expose them to, to, to the world a little bit. That's the only way that they're going to be able to stand in the world is if you expose. Who told you that? And is that in line with this scripture? This scripture says, I want you to be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. Do you know why our young kids, 12 years old, even younger, are doing all sorts of crazy things? Because they're exposed to evil way too young. And the more you get exposed to evil, the more evil you will do. Here's the secret. Keep your kids as innocent as you can for as long as you can. There'll be plenty of time for the world to taint them. You don't need to expose them to it right out of the gate. God said, be simple concerning evil. I remember when my son was about six. I'm tucking him in at night. He said, like when I would pray in, in the Holy Ghost as I tucked him in at night. He'd say, Dad, pray in tongues. And I would pray in tongues and he'd start cracking up and then he'd just mimic me all along. And, and by the way, do you know that's one of the ways that you learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, it's supernatural, but you can also learn it. I'll prove it to you. How do you learn how to speak English? You mimic what you hear your parents say. You know, sometimes in order for you to start speaking in other tongues and have a heavenly prayer language, you got to get around people who do it so you can hear it, so your spirit can register what's being, what's being said. And you might start out just mimicking, but before you know it, the Holy Spirit will take over and you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have a heavenly prayer language on top of it. And so he would just kind of mimic along. And then we got done praying in tongues one night, and he asked me the strangest question, all six years old. 
he said, Dad, what is, and he blurted it out, what does the F word mean? Just said it straight out. And you know what I said? I said, who taught you that? I know he didn't learn that from me. I know he didn't learn that from his mother. I want to know where he heard that. Do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve when he came down and they hid? And God said, where are you? And they said, well, we're hid because we were naked. Here's what God said. Who told you you were naked? Who exposed you to evil? It was never my intent for you to know evil ever since the beginning. All I did was want you to know good things. I wanted to keep you sheltered from the evil that's in the world. Never God's intention because God only creates good. But notice what the enemy did. The enemy came in and the enemy tricked Adam and Eve into letting evil into the world. Tricked him into letting evil. How did he do it? Got him to doubt the goodness of God. Went to Adam and Eve and said to Adam and Eve, um, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat of this tree is because God knows that in the day that you do, you're going to be like God. But here's the, 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 the funny thing about it. They were already like God. Did you know that you're already like God? You're made in the image and the likeness of God. Likeness, what does that mean? It means you look like God. People will ask me sometimes, Pastor, what does God look like? I'm like. And people think that's conceited. That's facts. We look like God. God is a three-part being, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're a three-part being. We are a spirit, possess a soul, live in a body. On the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, some of the disciples were able to see that it was Moses and Elijah there along with Jesus. How did they recognize Moses and Elijah? It was because they weren't blobs. Spirit beings physically look a lot like us. Look a lot. We were created in the likeness of God, but not just the likeness of God. We were created in the image of God, which means the nature of God was on the inside of us. And when sin entered the world, that nature got changed. And when we become born again, we get transformed back into the image of God. The nature of God is put back on the inside of us. So we once again look like God, feel like God, act like God, have the nature of God, talk like God, walk like God. We are God kind of creations. If you look in the scripture, everything was created after its kind. The seed after its kind. You read it in Genesis. The animals after their kind. Everything created. What kind were we created after? The God kind. We were, we were created to be and I know this is going to bother some people, little gods. Now, I don't mean that we have, you know, all of the powers that God himself has, although he's delegated a lot of his power to us, hasn't he? But what that means is we are chips off the old block. That we look like our father. That we should remind people who come into contact with, with us of our father. When they look at us, they ought to see Jesus. Every time you say you're a Christian, you're saying, I am a Christ-like individual. And it should be obvious to people. Remember when they came to Peter, he was warming himself by the fire. They said, aren't you one of his? Peter denied the Lord. They came back and said, you sure you're not one of his? You talk like him. You, you sure seem like you're It's impossible to stay around the Lord for a long period of time and not become like him. 
If you're not as much like Jesus as you want to be, spend some more time with Jesus. Let him rub off on you. And so the enemy comes along and he says, he says, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because when you do, you're going to be like him. In other words, God's holding something good from you. When in fact, God gave him everything good that God had to offer. God's never withheld anything good from us. Never will. The scripture says, if he gave us Jesus, how shall he not with them freely give us all things god wants to give us good things the enemy tricked him and when the enemy tripped, tricked him into believing that god wasn't good and they sided with the enemy and sinned all of a sudden evil entered into the world all of a sudden all the not goods entered into the world people think god put evil on the earth god didn't put evil on the earth i remember one time we did a series called The Ignorance of Atheism. And we did a big billboard and we put, you know, an ape on the billboard because, you know, that's what people tell us that we came from is apes. And so we put a big billboard, we put the ignorance of atheism and we sent flyers out and we invited everybody to come and we specifically invited atheists to come. And some atheists showed up and uh, they were a little offended. They said, how could you call us ignorant? I said, I didn't call you ignorant. I didn't say the ignorance of the atheist. I said the ignorance of atheism. Atheism is a philosophy and it's ignorant because it it, it doesn't make any sense for us to come from something that we're not like. When you look at everything that's on the earth, everything came from something that's just like it. Dogs come from dogs and plants come from plants and grass comes from grass. Everything comes from something that's just like it. And we came from someone that that we are just like and that person is God. And so after the service was over, I would give them an opportunity to ask questions. And I would always say, give me your best shot. Tell me why I shouldn't believe in God. And of course, the number one reason why atheists claim they don't believe in God is they'll say, there is no God because there's so much evil in the world. In other words, they're ascribing evil to God. And so this one guy said that to me. And of course, I had heard this many, many times before. And so I thought I'd just play with him a little bit. And I said, I agree with you. There is no God. And he looked at me and said, I just listened to a whole sermon you just preached. I know you believe there is a God. I said, no, no, let's just, I, I don't, I, that's just all show. I'm just saying that because I have to because I'm a pastor. I lose my job if I don't believe that. I said, but I have a question for you. Since you and I don't believe there is a God, I, I want to know, does evil still exist in the world? He said, well, yes. I said, where'd it come from? I said, now we can't blame God, can we? And the reason why we can't blame God is because we just agreed God doesn't exist. So where's evil come from? He said, evil comes from mankind. Evil comes from man choosing to do wrong. I said, you're a lot smarter than you look because that's exactly where evil comes from. Evil doesn't come from God. Evil comes from the free will choice of mankind who chooses to go against God and God's laws and God's philosophies and evil comes into the world as a result of it but God doesn't create evil in any way and because of this we got to get mad at the right person when bad things happen or try to attack our lives have you ever been the brunt of misplaced anger if you have kids you ought to raise your hand right 
It's nothing worse than being the brunt of misplaced anger. Oftentimes, people will be angry here and they'll point it at the people that are closest to them or that they love the most. And one of the things that happens to us is when stuff comes into our lives, one of the tricks of the enemy is he gets us to get mad at God. And years ago, the Lord taught me, taught me something. He said, whenever something evil comes into your life, put your anger on the right person. And I said, what's that mean, God? He said, put it on the devil because that's where it comes from. Don't put it on me. There's a scripture in Jonah that says, he who regards lying vanities forsakes their own mercy. In other words, if you put everything on God, that's a lying vanity. If you think evil comes from God, then you forsake the very place from which your mercy comes from. Your help comes from when you're going through it. So God told me, point it on the devil. So ever since that time, any time a negative or bad or adverse circumstance comes into my life, I purpose to minister in that area. And the reason why I purpose to minister in that area is because every time I do, I feel like I'm just punching the devil right in the face. How do you do it? Something bad comes into your life, minister to somebody who's struggling in that area. What do you do? You punch the devil in the face. Can we just admit something? It feels good to punch people in the face, doesn't it? Right? If you punch the wrong person in the face, it can cause a mess. But if you punch the right person in the face, it can actually feel real good. Punch the devil in the face all you want. How do you punch the devil in the face? You say, you know what, devil? You brought this into my life, this adverse circumstances, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to minister to somebody who's going through the same thing. Bam! Punch him right in the face. How do you punch him in the face? You praise God in the middle of your circumstance. Bam, you punch him in the face. How do you, how do you punch him in the face? You pray despite what you're going to. Bam. And here's what I found out. The more you punch, eventually they'll be like, no, I don't want to mess with this person. I don't want to be punched in the face too much. Right? Point your anger. Jesus pointed his anger in the right place. When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't take his anger out on humanity. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, that God was in Christ Jesus, not counting up the world's sins and holding those sins against them, but rather reconciling them to himself. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he didn't take out his anger on mankind. What did he do? 1 John 3.8, for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. What did Jesus do? He took his anger out the right person punch the devil in the face amen and so when we do that we realize we protect our heart from thinking that god is the creator of evil things god only creates good things second third thing i want to share with you god only gives good things god is uniquely good god only creates good things god only gives good things james chapter number one verse number 17 Here's what it says. It says, every what? Shout it out like you mean it. Every what? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That verse just told us that God only gives one kind of gift. And the kind of gift is a gift that is good and perfect. And notice what it says, and God never varies from that. Scripture says, what father is there among you? If his son will ask for a, a, a bread, we'll give him a stone. If he asks for something good, we'll give him a serpent. 
In other words, what the scripture is telling us is that God's not some type of sick puppy. You don't go to God to ask for something good and God's like, well, let me just give you something bad instead. Every good and every perfect gift. And God doesn't vary from that. Matter of fact, to say that God gives anything but good things to us is a scriptural era of epic proportions. Verse 16 of James chapter 1 says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make this mistake. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Well, what's the mistake? To say that God's given us something that's other than good and other than perfect. I want to give you some theology class right now, okay? It's going to help you. I call it kindergarten theology. How many of you know what you learned in kindergarten is crucial to what you learned for the rest of your life? If you never learned how to write lowercase and capital letters, you would have never learned how to smell. Spell, not smell, spell. <laughs> you would have never learned how to write. You needed to learn what you learned in kindergarten. Here's your, my kindergarten theology for you that will help you all throughout your life. Ready? God, good. Devil, bad. Okay, let's, let's try it together. Ready? God, good. devil. Bad. Let's try it again. God, Devil, that's the best theology that you could ever have. If you keep that at the center of your life, you'll never make the mistake of thinking that something that comes into your life that is not good is from God. If it's not good, it's not from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God, the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, John chapter 10 really reinforces this. Here's what it says. The thief, everybody remember the scripture? The thief. Let's stop and define what a thief is. A thief is somebody who takes without, shout, shout it out, takes without asking, and then the other word was, say it louder, permission. A thief is somebody who takes Without permission. How many believe that's a good definition for a thief? Can I see your hand? Okay, now listen, listen. You can't be lukewarm on this, okay? Because remember what the Bible says, that if you're lukewarm, God will spit you out of his mouth. So you got to participate in this. How many would say, Pastor, I believe that a good definition for a thief is somebody who takes without permission. Let me see your hand. I need to see it. Okay, are you sure? Are you positive? Would you put your hand on the Bible and say... That I swear to it. You shouldn't do that, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay, let's read what the rest of the scripture says. I think you're right. I think that's what a thief is. Somebody who takes without permission. John 10.10. 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. How many has ever heard the devil can't do anything unless he asks God for permission? Have you heard that before? Let me see your hand. Is the devil a thief or isn't he a thief? Who called him a thief? Jesus called him a thief, didn't he? What is a thief? Somebody who takes what? Don't be bashful. Spit it right out. I want, I want, you, to, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. What is a thief? A thief is somebody who what? Is that really what a thief is? So then how is it possible for the devil to go to God and get permission to do bad things if he's a thief? Hello? Are you with me? Don't confuse evil 
as coming from God. Evil never comes from God. Bad things never come from God. God only gives good gifts. Evil comes from the devil. God good, devil bad. Right? Watch this. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 7. I quoted it before. I quote it again. Verse number 11. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what? Say it loud. Say it like you're awake. Say it like I'm not wasting my time. Good things. Good things to his children. Good things to his children. Good things. What kind of things does God want to give us? Good things. Amen. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter number four, we find one of the most spectacular verses of scripture on God giving good things. Here's what it says. It says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, you might have heard this scripture, and you might have heard a theologian tell you that what this means is that when Jesus was resurrected, he freed everybody who was in Abraham's bosom. Anybody know what Abraham's bosom is? I want to see. Anybody know it? Get in discipleship class if you don't know what Abraham's bosom is, okay? Abraham's bosom was the place that all those who died prior to the resurrection who were in Christ or in old covenant with God went to before access was granted into heaven through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so theologians will say what this verse is talking about is that when Jesus was resurrected, he freed those who were in Abraham's bosom. Now, even though that might be a true, a true uh, theological fact, this verse is not the verse that describes that. Because notice what it says. It says, he led captivity what? Captive. Say anything about freeing people in that verse? I don't see the word free in there not even one time. What does it mean then? It's talking about the gifts that Jesus gave to mankind. In Bible times, in ancient times, when an emperor conquered another kingdom, what they would do is they would chain up the conquered foe and they would parade the conquered foe through the streets of their kingdom. And as the emperor was riding on his victory lap, on his chariot, he would take the spoils from the kingdom that he had just conquered and he would throw them off to all of the people in his kingdom that were cheering him on and that were congratulating him and celebrating the fact that he had just conquered another kingdom. What is this verse talking about? It's talking about the fact that when Jesus went to the cross and came up from the dead as the resurrected Savior. He conquered the kingdom of Satan, and he took all of the spoils that the enemy was trying to keep from you and I, and he began to distribute those gifts to each and every one of us. Gifts of healing, and gifts of prosperity, and gifts of peace, and gifts of salvation. Throw them out to all of us. Why? Because he gives good gifts. Are you all here? Because that was pretty good stuff right there, even if I do say so myself. God only gives good things. Number four, God only does good. God only gives good. God only does good. Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, who went about doing what? Say it loud. You're going to get this, I promise you. Even if you don't want to get it, I'm going to make you get it. Who went about doing what? And healing, how many? Is there ever a time in Scripture where Jesus refused 
to minister healing to somebody? Every time? The answer is no. Every time Jesus ministered, he healed all that they brought to him. Healing all those who are oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What did Jesus spend his time on the earth doing? Doing good. What's good? Good is healing. You know, you'll hear some people say things like, well, you know, we don't know what good is. Sometimes God knows what good, and we don't know what good is. Listen, if you feed me something that tastes bad, I know it tastes bad. You don't have to, you, know, you can try to convince me all you want. We need to understand what good is and what's not good. And thank God that God's made provision when we don't receive all of the goodness that we should receive here in this earth for the greatest goodness of all, which is heaven. Thank God for that. But while we're still alive, let's believe God for all the goodness that there is here on this earth. We can't lose. That's why the apostle Paul said, for me to live is gain, to die is Christ, right? Either way, I win. But God wants to give you good things. And by the way, do you know what the phrase doing good literally means? It's the Greek word where we get the word philanthropist from. Do you all know what a philanthropist is? How many knows what a philanthropist is? Come on, I know you got more than an eighth grade education. How many even know what a philanthropist is? A philanthropist is somebody that gives financially to benefit other people. When it says Jesus went about doing good and healing, healing was good, but also the philanthropy work that Jesus did that was good. Well, where did Jesus get the money from? I thought Jesus was broke. Who told you? Jesus' ministry had a money bag. Did you ever read about it in the Bible? That's because you don't read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, you'd read about it. Guess who was the treasurer in Jesus' ministry? Judas. Can you imagine? Jesus had a thief as his treasurer. Jesus had a scandal in his ministry. If Jesus was alive today and it was reported on the news that somebody was stealing from Jesus' ministry, do you know half the body of Christ would leave the ministry of Jesus? Because somebody did something stupid. How many of you know people are flawed? People do stupid things. Well, the thief had the money bag. And the Bible says that he would take from the top of the money bag. Matter of fact, I believe the reason why Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver was to try to put the money back in the bag that he stole. The Bible doesn't say that. Mere speculation on, on my part. I could be wrong. When we get to heaven, God will tell you I was right. But I could be wrong. See, I think what happened is he said he turned Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver, thinking that when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus would do what he always did when they came to arrest him, which was what? Slip away. And he'd have his 30 pieces of silver back. He'd put it back in a bag. Nobody would know he ever stole the money. But here's the point. The bag had at least enough money in it that nobody knew except Jesus that he was stealing. Let me ask you a question. If I had 10 $100 bills and you took one, would I notice? You better believe it. I notice. If I had 1,000 $100 bills and I took one, you took one, would I notice? How are you going to know if there's a thousand there? Nobody, nobody can add that quick. Matter of fact, I shouldn't tell you this, but my mom, she used to store $100 bills in her drawer growing up. 
Don't ask me why. That's a little too personal, okay? She used to store $100 bills in her drawer, stacking them like this. And every time it was date night, I'd just go over, whoop, and I'd take one. She didn't know because the stack was so big. If there was 10 there, she would have known. Now, when I got saved later on and an experience with God, I went to and I told her, I said, Mom, I've been hitting that stack of $100 bills all along. And I repented to her. I thought she was going to whoop me because you don't mess with an Italian mama's money like that. She'll get the wooden spoon in. But anyway, she forgave me. The point is, in the money bag, there had to be enough money in there so that nobody would know Judas was stealing. How could that be? That's how Jesus was a philanthropist. If you read the scripture, you find out that Jesus' ministry was supported by wealthy women. Thank God for the ladies. Thank God for the ladies. You know, the men are usually the cheap ones in church. Did you know that? Men, I got bills to pay. I don't know. Can't can't help the Lord out. The women are like, come on, let's put the Lord first. Let's give the Lord a tithe. Let's put him first in our life. The women are the ones usually who support the ministry. Come on, go like this to your cheap husband. Say, start giving to God like that. Jesus was a philanthropist. Philanthropy is good. Being blessed is good. Being broke is not good. Matter of fact, God doesn't delight in anybody being broke. Psalm 35 verse 27 says this, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who hath pleasure in the what? Of his servants. That means that God loves when you're blessed. Anybody ever have, anybody have kids? Grown kids? Grown kids that got a good job? Look, all the hands went down. <laughs> grown, grown kids that got a good job, right? When your grown kids get a good job and they come home and they say, Mom, Dad, I just got promoted to manager or partner and my salary is now and they give you some big number. Anybody ever go, oh, that's bad. That's too much money for you right there. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever get excited that their kids are blessed? What makes us think that God is any less excited when you and I are blessed? God loves doing good things in our lives. He loves to see us blessed. Matter of fact, Jesus went about blessing people financially. Psalm 34, verse number 6, our opening text. David is the writer of the text. And David says this, look at it carefully. This poor man, who is David talking about? He didn't say the poor man. The poor man could be somebody else, right? When you say the poor man, that's that's somebody else. When you say this poor man, you're referring to yourself. David said this poor man, him, cried to the Lord and he heard him and saved him out of his troubles. What is David saying? David's saying, I was really poor at one time, and I cried to the Lord to get me out of my poverty. And here's what he said, and the Lord saved me out of my troubles, out of the troubles brought on by poverty. Listen, being broke and barely getting by is not a blessing. I just was talking to a family this week. The woman was crying. She said, Pastor, I'm tired of struggling. I said, but you're blessed struggling along like that, aren't you? It's not a blessing. 
And why did David say, this poor man cried unto the Lord? How, how did God answer David? David is the original rags to riches story. Did you know that? David is the original person who went from dirt poor to really, really wealthy. How did God answer his prayer? First Chronicles chapter 29. Go there with me, and I'm going to wrap this up in just a minute here. David was instructed by God to build a temple for his son Solomon, for the Lord. His son Solomon was going to uh, run that temple and under his kingdom, and David was going to build it for his son. And uh, David is, is talking about the temple and what he gave toward it. And he says this, Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God. Stop. What does he mean besides the devotion to the temple of my God? What's he talking about? He said beside the devotion. What's the devotion? Anybody know? The tithe. What do you mean, Pastor? When you read through the Old Testament, the tithe is called the devoted thing. What does devoted mean? Set apart thing. This is the thing that belongs to God. By the way, it is possible to be rich without being a tither. Nobody will ever tell you that. Because they want to trick you into tithing. Right? It is possible. How many of you know there are people in the world who don't tithe that are rich? Right? But there's a difference between the richness that God gives and the richness that the world gives. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow. There is a fulfillment. There is a peace. There is a blessing. There is a prosperity that goes beyond money when God is the one who financially prospers you. And you cannot prosper that way without being a tither. But you can't be rich without being a tither. You understand the difference? He said, beside the devoted thing that I give to the temple, I now give my, of my personal treasures, not the things that belong to my kingdom, but this is my own personal stuff. Remember what he said, this poor man cried. So he went from poor to now having a personal treasury. And he said, I now give up my personal treasury of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything that I've provided for the holy temple. Now, stop for a second. I was talking to a, to a gentleman a couple of weeks ago. Nice guy. Real nice guy. He had some theological differences. And um, he, I, I invited him to come in and talk to me because we don't have to hate each other because we disagree with one another, Right? We don't have to call each other heretics because we disagree with one another. We don't have to say that we're going to hell because we disagree with one another. There are going to be things that people disagree on. And so he was disagreeing on some of uh, some things concerning prosperity. So I called him in. And he was telling me about where he disagreed. And I saw where he was coming from. But I asked him this question. I said, um, how long have you been coming to church here? He said, well, about six months. I said, have you enjoyed it? He said, yes, I've enjoyed it. I said, do you have any problem worshiping in a $20 million church? He said, no, never thought about it. I said, well, just so you know, that's how much this church is worth, $20 million. Cost us 17 and a half. It's worth 20. I said, it's been a blessing to you, right? Enjoy coming in in the air condition and enjoy everything that we have. It's beautiful. We got nice stuff for the kids and everything like that. He said, well, he said, if it was lined with gold, I'd have a problem with it. Now, can we just be honest here for a second? I want you to just be honest for a second. 
And I know some of you are going to be shy to answer, but be honest. How many of you would have a problem if all the walls were lined with gold? See you here. Hold it up high. Don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. Okay, I get you. I get you. Let's read on. It said, um, for my personal treasury, gold and silver for the temple of God. Over and above everything, I have provided to this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold. The gold of Ophir. Now, I don't know if it's pronounced Ophir, but neither do you, so we'll just call it Ophir. And 7,000 talents of refined silver. Silver. What, what was this for? For the overlaying of the walls of the building. Let me just read that again. God told David to build a temple where the walls were overlaid with gold. I didn't tell David to do that. How many of it? God doesn't have a problem with that. See, here's what happens to us. We have this system in our mind of where excess begins. Funny thing about it is we're never on that list of where excess begins. It's always above and beyond what we possess. But the problem is that if somebody from Tanzania sat down next to one of us who had a roof over our head and clothes on our back and money in our bank account and food on our table, they'd say we're living in excess. But guess what? We don't get to define that. God does. How many would think that if the halls out there were made of pure gold, you'd have a problem with that? You'd have a problem in heaven. The streets of pure gold. Here's what David said. He said, look at what I did. He said, of my own personal treasury, I gave 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver, so that the walls in the temple could be lined with it. For the gold work and the silver work, I also gave it for that. For all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord? Now, how much did David give? 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver. Now, remember, David said, this poor man cried unto the Lord. I was broke. But I've gotten to a place now where I was able to give from my own personal treasury 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver. In modern day money, it's $867 million. How many of you know? Why David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This poor man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard me and delivered me from all my troubles. God, is that good? Now, I'm going to balance this because nowhere in the Bible does it say to chase after riches. Matter of fact, just the opposite. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Never ever chase a dollar. Reverse the chase. Chase God. Let the dollars chase you. 
Amen. The Bible says if we put God first, all these blessings will come on us and overtake us. And so let's keep this thing straight. Let's not get out there and say, you know, it's wrong for this. And it's what if it's blessed? It's a good thing. God doesn't have any problem with that. God cares where our heart is. And if God's not first in our finances, listen, can I just say this? If you aren't a tither, shut your mouth about finances. If you aren't a tither, why do you get to say anything about about where finances go? God's not first in your finances. So why should you be the one who is jury and judge over where money is going in any set of circumstances, right? God says, seek me first. Is this too strong for you? Am I, I know for some of you it is, but that's okay. I'm not looking to make friends right now. I'm looking to teach you the Bible, okay? The Lord is good. He blesses us. Does this apply to us? Yes, 3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, I wish above how many things? Are you getting bashful to say what the scripture says now because it's too good? I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. What does this scripture mean? Well, there's a couple of applications and I'll close with this. Application number one is that soul can refer to your your inner man in the scripture. And so the number one thing that God wants healthy in your life above everything else is your inner man. And the condition of your inner man dictates the level of which God can bless all the rest of you. Even as... I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. One verse is in your business affairs. That's financial prosperity. And be in health. That's physical prosperity. Even as your soul, that's spiritual prosperity. Your spirit is the thing that God cares about more than anything else. God would rather you die spiritually healthy and physically broke than physically wealthy and spiritually broke. Hello? But you don't have to. Because I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. What's the second application of it? In order for you to receive the goodness of God in your life, your soul, what is your soul? It's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. Your soul has to prosper has to grow, has to get to a place where it realizes that God is good, uniquely good in a category of good all by himself, creates only good, gives only good, does only good. If you never get to the place where your mind doesn't catch up with that, you will reject the goodness of God in your life without even knowing that you're rejecting the goodness of God because some religious eriot will come along and try to convince you that God is just not that good. But he is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you stand on your feet?